Welcome to the Loser Kid Pinball Podcast. I am your host, Josh Roop, and with me, my co-host, Scott Larson. How you doing, my good man? Howdy ho, neighbor. <laughs> are you enjoying all the snow that we're having so far? That's been freezing. Actually, it was uh, like uh, freezing rain over here today. Oh. So um, skiing is nice when you get up above the inversion. Oh, I bet it's way nice. Out here it stinks because it's like, it, it, it's just been snow. It's been like sticking to the ground and it's just, it's been terrible. You'd shovel it and then I'd get all the way to the bottom of the driveway and then I'd go back to the top and start shoveling again because it's just sticking and piling up so bad. But, yeah, well, good good reason to stay inside then. You know it. That good reason to play some pinball instead of go outside, right? <laughs> yep. Hey, so um, before I get into everything, can you give a little introdu- introduction of yourself? Uh, yeah, so I uh, got into pinball probably about four years ago just on a whim. Um, I picked up, uh, started picking some arcade games, and one of the dealers had three pinball machines that he had just recently taken out of the house and I saw Simpsons uh, pinball party and I said, huh, I've never played pinball. Let's buy that. So I bought that and it was way too complicated. I had no idea how to play it. And it sat downstairs for about two years uh, playing it occasionally. And then over one year, I bought about 10 pinball machines. Um, I still don't know how to play Simpsons pinball party really, but uh, it's still really pretty. Yeah. Yeah, you've got a really nice collection. I, I don't know if you've noticed the picture that I posted as like the podcast picture, but it's actually at me at your house when we did that tournament. I'm playing on that sweet Tron that you have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I got all these warnings that said if I wanted to post something, I better make sure it was a picture of my own. I was like, well, I guess I'll use that because that's pinball really. Sure, it's a, it's a picture of you. Yeah. <laughs> so what's been going on in your pinball life, I guess? Um, you know, the main thing is I installed a Pinovators, uh, thing onto Tron and now, uh, it, my Tron is a very customized pro version. Um, and now it's, uh, keeps blowing the fuse on the GI. So right now I still need to figure that out, but I haven't had any time to actually tease in. And considering I, uh, know very little about how to troubleshoot machines, it'll probably take a, a little while longer too. It's always one thing or another with a pinball machine, it feels like, sometimes. Well, it's a, it's a good hobby. The challenge is you have to be able to have the time to do the maintenance on it. So I'll have to get uh, some of my friends over who know a lot more about maintenance, and we'll be able to figure something out. I need to also uh, email the the marketers of the uh, LED OCD chip and the Pinovators and see if there's uh, if there's a reason why the Pinovator or the LED OCD is uh, blowing. Yeah, for sure. It's it's basically the same Tron that uh, uh, Kevin Manny up at Buffalo Pinball has. Um, I asked him exactly how he customized his machine, and I did basically everything he did. And it's still not working. Well, I didn't customize it myself. Someone else did. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> but, oh. Who knows? Maybe maybe I'll uh, text Kevin and see if he uh, knows what what's going on because he said he was just about to install the Pinnovator's chip, so maybe his isn't doing the same thing mine is. Gotcha. Okay. Anything else exciting going on for you? Um, uh, Gary got a, a Monster Bash LE, and I know you have your Monster Bash thing. You know what? I've actually um, 
segue really quickly now that you've brought that up. So I get a, I, I was going to get off of work early today already. And then the babysitter yeah. said, um, never mind, we don't have a problem. You can stay at work. And then I got a call, not even like 30 seconds later. And they're like, we have a shipment here for you. Can we drop it off? And so, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, when, when do I need to be there? And she's like, uh, now, n- now. Yeah, exactly. So I run home, yeah. I clear the space. Um, and then I wait for an hour, like a kid on Christmas. I'm just like, just show up, please. So he finally backs in and I, he drops it off in the garage and I'm like, stay, you know, play some pinball. And it was his last call. So he starts playing <laughs> pinball while I'm unloading monster bash and getting it open. Dude, I've never had that experience before. That's my first new inbox. I'm a broke kid. So I never have those experiences. Yeah. I ended up selling half the collection because monster bash is one of my holy grails. So I just, I had yeah, to go well, for it. No longer part of the broke collection if you ever buy a new inbox pinball machine. Well, I still feel <laughs> especially in LE. I, you're, I, still, you're in the top five percent. It's still broke. Collectors. It's still broke if you have to sell more than half your collection. If you have to get rid of a Simpsons pinball party and a Star Trek Pro, amongst a couple others, and plus to pay off some bills and whatnot. But that's a different story. But yeah, I still feel broke. I'd look at it, now. I have a nice shiny cho- toy to remind me I am very broke. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, no, it's awesome. Man. Well, it still looks pretty. What what blows my mind is the uh, manufacture date on it, September like twenty eighth, and they announced that a month later. I'm like, I kind of wonder what took him so long. When I talked to uh, our buddy JJ over at Game Exchange, he said they were having some issues with some of the parts breaking, and so they wanted to build it more robust. So hey, I'm all for making something a little nicer, as long as I don't want to fix it later down the road. Yeah, the the interesting thing is on uh, Gary's anyway. The um, on the uh, hole once it goes down to drain, uh, there is a um, you know kind of like a a, uh, a cliffy down there. Mm-hmm. But it's gotten stuck on the cliffy twice because they they did a cutout. Obviously, it was hanging up on that cliffy, and so they made a cutout so the ball could channel through that, and then it still hung up on it twice the night. He opened it up. Gotcha. Well, knock on one, mine hasn't hung up yet, but I've only got five games on it. I seriously unloaded it. It took yeah. the, the 30 minutes or an hour, however long it took. Me and my son, my eight-year-old son, trying to help me with this pinball machine getting all set up, and man, it took forever. And then my mm-hmm. wife shows up, and she's like, you realize it's 6.30, almost 7, right? Like, we need to make some dinner. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, okay. So you ordered a pizza and you kept playing. I wish. No, I went in and made dinner because, you know, wife's pregnant. So, Because you're a good husband. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that which, let me tangent really quick. It was funny because last night uh, I tuned into Dead Flip, right? And he, mm-hmm. he's, his wife is pregnant as well. And I asked him, what do you guys do? And she's like, well, she's 20 weeks along. I'm like, dude, my wife's 20 weeks on Sunday. I just thought about it. If we both have our babies on the same day, we should make like a pact, like name our kid after each other. But then I thought that was a terrible idea because like my kid would be the cool kid running around saying, I'm Jack Danger. And then his kid would be like running around saying, I'm Josh, the loser kid. Like, <laughs> so I think well, you could have, J- you could have Danger as his middle name. Yeah, true, true. But it was just, I'm like, that's a short end of the stick. I doubt he'd go for that. <laughs> yeah. But well, cool, man. Well, I gave my thoughts on Monsters last week. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to give your thoughts, what your first impressions were. Yeah, I'll, I'll give some quick thoughts. Um, so the months 
characters always seem to be like a Saturday afternoon rerun when I, um, I, I never watched the Adams family, uh, when I was a kid and also the Adams family movie, I never watched it until like two years ago. So I, and since I really didn't get into pinball, um, I grew up in the eighties. And so that was when the arcades were really ramping up and the pinballs were kind of left to die in the corner. Um, then I was, I was really busy in the nineties, uh, during the first Renaissance, uh, we're kind of in the second Renaissance. So I don't really have that emotional connection to Adam's family, but other people have, uh, in fact, I bought an Adam's family, uh, from someone, uh, I've actually, I bought it from Jeff Rivera from the pinball podcast and I had it in my garage for about six months and I just didn't have room. So I moved down to uh, to my friend's house to babysit. And then I decided this seems kind of ridiculous. It was down at his house for a year. And so I sold it to my good friend, Josh Roop. You know it, man. And it's, it's, it's getting plenty of good use out here. I couldn't pass yeah. up when you, when you called and, or texted me and said, Hey, I'm getting rid of it. I'm like the thing with Adam's family, dude, yeah. I, I, at first I didn't get the hype. Like I was like, this is just some kind of nostalgic crap that people always got because they grew up with it. Now that's in my house and I've been playing it, I understand. It's it's not a game. It's like an experience between the seance and the knocker and everything. It's just – and the, the magnets, it's fantastic. But Okay, I, I totally get it. For me, if you look at my collection, I have uh, 12 games uh, downstairs and Twilight Zone in the garage. And I need to uh, – I just didn't have enough space to get rid of one, to move it downstairs. And also my friend has – Adam's family and he's two minutes away from me. He's the one who has the, the monster bash LE. And so I've started viewing our collection as kind of a joint collection. And so that was the reason why I sold it was more of a, um, if I look at our collection as a a mega collection, then I'm not willing to hold on to that as a duplicate and and sell one of the other machines. Oh yeah. I get you. So I'm that, that, that was the reason. So I, I don't, I still don't have that emotional connection with Adam's family. Monsters, I actually did remember liking Monsters better than um, the Adam's family. Also, the Adam's family, for some weird reason, had guest spots on the Flintstones. Um, yeah, I still don't figure that out. Uh, but um, they, uh, so when Monsters was announced, I thought, well, this seems like a, it seems like their attempt to steal a thunder from Monster Bash really oh, yeah. is what it, what it felt like. Well, that's what oh, I thought too. Between well, it was a two birds for one stone between that and Alice Cooper because Alice Cooper is more of a of a monster game in my opinion than it is a rock star game or a music pin. Yeah, but mm-hmm. keep, yeah, yeah. So I I, and I I didn't really know what to think about it, but like looking at it, um, I think that they from an art standpoint. I think they nailed it. They they were able to capture three different things. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, the black and white version, I think they did a good job of tr- something different that will stand out from the others. Oh, yeah. I personally like the colorized version, but it seems like the, da- the downstairs, from what I can gather, has a lot more going on than your typical lower play field. So I think it'll be a home run for them, uh, at least in the modern era. I agree. So I, it's, it, I'm not gonna buy it, but I, it, hey, if I see it on route, I'm totally gonna, you know, put five, ten bucks in it. Oh yeah, well, I think that's that's the thing that has astounded me with the Monsters release 
is there is so much information. It seemed like anything you wanted to know, it was covered between them revealing it, the two days with Jack Danger and Gary and Zach down in Vegas. And then they come back to Chicago and Jack goes through it with Dwight and they take the glass off and they just go through every little thing. And then you have Franchi and all them on special with lit and they go through everything and you learn that John Borg, this is his like, this is his dream theme he's wanted to do for so long and he's finally getting to do it. And Dwight even, it kind of sounded the same way as well. I mean, it just seems like anything you wanted to know about this pin, you found out within the last week. And so it would make me feel more confident if I was buying a limited edition because in this market right now, it seems like if you either got to be in on it or not and within that 48 hours. And if you're not, then you're just, you're playing out of luck, but I don't know. Well, it's... you're out of luck for a new inbox, but as yeah. we all know, it, in the secondary market, there's, there's always that pin available. Oh yeah. If you just have patience and something will pop up, you know, the, the grail pins, they're only grail pins because it takes a while just to get them, but you can always get them oh, yeah. unless they're, you know, the, like the Michael Jordan, special edition or the Aaron Spelling special edition, I, you know, those ultra rare ones, that's different. But if you want a pin, you can get it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I totally agree. That's what uh, our buddy Ryan's always telling me. He's like, I'll just sell one. I have no emotional connection to these things, man. I I can't yeah. get back as soon as I want it. So it's, yeah, it's so interesting I, to see. I, I think it'll be good. I'd like to see the difference and see if the lower play field really does much for the gameplay. Um, as we know, sometimes uh, the, you know, the premium experience doesn't necessarily make or break the game. A lot of people I know buy the, uh, just the pro version of Metallica. Uh, and even the Iron Maiden really has very little difference between the, the pro and the premium. Um, I actually, for, on Iron Maiden, I prefer the AR package of the pro. Oh, yeah. Um, but I grew up with Iron Maiden, so. Well, and so there it is. do you think, um, speaking of limited editions really quick, do you think the the rage or just whoever's throwing a temper tantrum about the extra hundred units is warranted or have no. you heard, did you hear about this? Yeah, I heard about it. I, I think that the bottom line is, uh, if you know how Stern has resurrected their, their marketing ploy is they're trying to cater to three different markets. So they're trying to cater to the route market, home market and the collector market. Cause that's, it's the guy that came from Harley Davidson. Yeah. And so, they can't, um, and if you really look at it from a car manufacturing standpoint, um, no car manufacturer is going to manufacture one version of their car. I have to cater yeah. to multiple audiences. And you can't fill all the audiences with one, with one uh, pin. Uh, you know, it's just like in the 90s, you know, Bally Williams, they all just put out, here's Twilight Zone, you buy that, and that's it. Yeah. But it was also a different time. Um, I have no problem with them having a different collector market. Uh, with uh, Star Wars, I know they had a hard time, or at least I hear they had a hard time selling all the LEs. I actually had a thousand down on the LE, and uh, when it was released, I just looked at it and said, you know, this maybe this isn't mine. Yeah. Uh, so I I actually moved moved on. Uh, but I don't really care that much. Having something limited, that doesn't really mean anything to me. Uh, limited versus premium, I kind of view them as the same game. And so as long as the gameplay is the same on the premium and the LE, 
and the LE is more of a cosmetic package, I don't have a problem with it. Oh yeah. But I, I know there are people who they do buy games because they are limited. Uh, um, like the Primus game, they, you know, they, they want to buy that because it's limited to a hundred. I don't really get a, get a buzz of having something that someone else does, but I'm also not the only demographic they're targeting. Yeah, true. So I don't really care. Well, and the only reason I went with the limited on the monster, on the monster bash, the monster bash, <laughs> the monster bash is just yeah, because I, I knew it was going to be in my collection indefinitely. You know, I, I don't foresee me getting rid mm -hmm. of Monster Bash. Monster Bash and Attack from Mars and Medieval Madness fall in a very interesting category. I think a lot of pinball players could feel the same way, is you might get bored of it, but you always come back to it. So, like my collection with the Monster Bash and the Attack from Mars, I know they'll always be staples, and so then I have one rotating pin besides my World Cup Soccer which is a different story, but I always have a one rotating pin that I'm going to play for anywhere from a couple months up to a year, whatever it is. But I know it's not going to stay in the collection because it's going to rotate out and I'm going to get something else because, you know, stuff stagnates. But I always I always go back to Attack from Mars. For the last five years, it seems like I've always just loved Attack from Mars. And so, I don't know. A lot, I get, like, there's a lot of people out there right now saying, like, Monster Bash gets old. It's easy. I mean, it's fun though. It's one of the funnest games I've played. So okay, but who is saying that? Uh, you you have to you have to you have to consider the source. So the people that are playing that are heavily involved in tournament play. True, very true. And so, so they're they're the ones who are chasing scores. They're the ones that see. Uh, full disclosure: I don't have time to go play tournaments. Um, I, <laughs> I I I and we actually have I would say a fairly decent tournament scene in utah oh i totally uh, agree with uh, with dan and and josh uh they're they've done a great job about getting it going but i don't have much time if i make it to three tournaments in a year even casual tournaments then i'm doing a pretty good job and i'm into it just for an escape uh and, and maybe some social some socializing oh, yeah. and so i don't care if i if I get a billion or 10 billion or a hundred billion on something. Oh yeah. And so that's why it doesn't matter to me. I'm just looking for fun, but I totally understand if you're a, a heavy tournament player, you're going to want something that has, um, you're going to want something that's super challenging, high risk reward and a Lyman sheets rule set that goes, uh, that goes down that only 1% of the market's even going to scratch the surface on. But again, I'm not that guy. And so I just want a fun game that my kids can play. People come over to my house can play. And when people talk about Monster Bash, they talk about it being a gateway pin. Oh, yeah. Like this is a great starter pin. And that's really what I'm searching for in a home collection um, because I want people to go down and push that button. Oh, I, I want totally them to agree. Say, oh, that was fun. I want to, I want to do that again. I, I've never played pinball machines. I, I can't tell you how many times – I tell people, yeah, I, I have pinball machines, and they look at that and say, do they still make those? Oh, I totally agree. You know, living out in the middle of nowhere, um, there's not very many people that are into pinball, so when people actually do come over to my house, I don't want them to get discouraged. And that's why I have Attack from Mars. But one of the ones that people love that are new beginners is actually World Cup Soccer because it's so easy to understand. And really, if you're mm -hmm. flailing, you can just shoot it into the goal like eight times out of ten. And you're good to go. And so I've had people have come over and they'll play them all. 
and then they'll tell me that they love World Cup the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, the the ones that people play on mine, uh, they always play Medieval Madness. That that's the one that they all go and play, um, consistently, just oh, yeah. because it has something for everybody. It's still challenging enough because it's still the the risk of going straight up the middle and hitting the castle, but it still has the all time best toy in any pinball machine with the exploding castle. And so they look at that and say, I want to do that again. Well, I think the nice part about medieval madness, it kind of takes out some of the risk for the reward. I mean, you look at attack from Mars. Yeah. You're hitting that, those drop targets and then you hit that, uh, or sorry, no, you hit the target bank. And then once those drop down, you're going for the drop target. And so seasoned players like attack from Mars, cause there's more of a challenge, but it's the exact same gameplay on medieval madness, but you have the moat there. So it's like you hit the drawbridge. And then it say you know you don't have to worry about draining first shot. Well, it also angles, so it, it, it actually bounces off and goes to the right flipper, and so um, you get the, it, you know it's a uh, I would say it's a, a more elegant game on Medieval Madness, but I totally understand the heavy tournament player who has the outpost completely removed and taken all the rubbers off, and they want that ultra brutal game. Um, but you're still catering to the top 2% of players. The average player, even the average home player, they don't really care. They just want a fun game. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. Well, it's because that's why we were going to have some of our staples, no matter what. There's going to be games that never leave your collection. You texted me the other day and texted me half of the ones. Like, I'm like, what's available in your collection? And you just text yeah. me the ones that aren't available. And it's like, whatever else you want, go for it, you know? Yeah. But Yeah. I guess like we kind of went off off track there about monsters, but I mean, really, I guess that's what it comes down to. It's well, what's that, your personal that's preference. That's the point. And, and really, uh, um, monsters is also feels like a throwback to the the glory days of the '90s, and that there was you know pinball was campy. It was it was fun. It was a little tongue in cheek, maybe a little irreverent. And times have changed. I totally understand that. Um, but I think that that's why people who are interested are going to say, oh, I want that. Um, I don't necessarily want another music pin, another movie pin. And, and I'm not saying those are bad. I mean, they're brilliant marketing strategies. You go where the money's hot. Oh, yeah. But this is, um, that's one reason why even when I just looked at the layout and the cartooniness of Oktoberfest, I thought that, that looks like it's throwing back to the the 90s glory days as opposed to the, 2010s glory days so uh, i think that's why it's going for and I, I think it'll be i think monsters will be a big hit so i i think monsters will be a big hit and i think they they did a brilliant job of of finding their market so you know it's it's a competition i i think that i still think uh, monster bash will will be a big seller for chicago gaming company and i've always had that attitude that games should never be limited that if there's something that people want to buy, they should be able to remake them, make a run of a hundred, make a run of 200. Oh, I totally keep, agree. And, you know, keep visiting it as long as you have the license and the ability to produce it. Um, that was the challenge with ACDC is that people couldn't buy the premium um, after they did their run until they did the vault edition, just because they didn't clue in or didn't have the technology to actually do small batch runs that they do now. Well, I think the other thing about Munsters too, and Dwight really pointed this out, was the fact that they made 
like the monster multi-ball or whatever it is like the kind of like the mini wizard mode a lot more in, uh, attainable for those that aren't necessarily new to the hot or that are new to the hobby and so yeah. i think like you said it is a throwback to the 90s because it felt like like with medieval madness the easy goal is to destroy the, the castle but for the expert player there's trying to become you know kingdom or i can't remember what it's called ruler of the kingdom uh, whatever yeah. it is and yeah. so I mean, you see that with Attack from Mars and those really base, the quote unquote basic games have great strategies for beginners and they get them hooked and then it's got meat for the uh, experienced player. And that's what I feel like they're doing with monsters is they really want to kind of do that throwback. They want to bridge the gap between the two because honestly, the last five years, like you said, they've all been kind of almost tournament games and that's been a lot yeah. of their demand. And I wonder if, if Stern's going to start doing kind of you know how they release three models a year? I think yeah. I think they might each model might be different. One might be catered like this, one might be more of a tournament like a Keith Eldwin, uh Iron Maiden or whatever it may be. And then whatever the goofy title might be in the middle, the Deadpool or whatever it is. You know, people still love it, but it's not necessarily a tournament game. Yeah, I mean, and I think they're actually getting that with 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 the games that they can I kind of dealt uh you know, delved into that with the scalability that they can say, Hey, we're going to run a hundred of Primus or we're going to do something that is still, Hey, we're going to, we're going to run. I have no idea how many Supreme games they made, but Hey, that's a moneymaker for them. So good. For oh yeah. Them. They knocked um, it out of the park with and, that one. Yeah, but. absolutely. And, uh, it's the same thing that you, I think as the pinball audience, we just need to realize that, um, you know, a 44 year old male is not the only target audience. Oh, I totally agree. And pe people forget that there's so many other audiences out there. And you know what? Guess what? Maybe a game is for you. Maybe it's not. But See, um, that's that's why this a podcast appeals. We're not the top 10%, Scott. We're not going <laughs> yeah. to the... I might not be killing it at the tournaments. I at least try. I, I go out for the social aspect for the most part. I get a little frustrated, but, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's just... We're not, right. we're not the Ryan, we're not Ryan and Martin from we're, the head to head where they're killing it every time, you know? <laughs> no, no, we're, we're the bottom feeders. Like I, I'm okay if I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Whatever. <laughs> well, it's I, I didn't go straight down the middle. What's funny is my first tournament I did was the Salt Lake Gaming Con like two oh. years ago. And mm -hmm. I honestly didn't think I was even, so with that one, the way that the tournament worked is if you were in the top 16, then you went to the finals and then they did whatever they did. Well, I drove 180 miles. I didn't think I was making it because there was over 100 and some odd people that went into that. It was just, and Dan texts me as I'm driving back to Vernal. I'm halfway there. So was at 90 miles? And he's like, where are you at? Mm -hmm. I'm on my yeah. way home. And he's like, well, you yeah. made it into the finals. You're in the top 16. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know, you know? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, good luck. Yeah. Yep. Well, someone take my spot, I guess. I don't, pff, nothing yeah. I can do now, but. Well, let's kick it back to one of the things that we wanted to talk about was maybe some advice to give to those people that are coming into the hobby. So I, I, I was thinking about um, at least what I would do, talk to people who are getting into the hobby. And the best advice I can say is games are out there. Yep. So if you don't get the one game you want, guess what? Someone has it and eventually they're going to get bored of it and they're going to move on. And so this isn't you're not marrying a game you can buy a game you can have some fun you know uh pin a little bit you know you, you don't have to commit to one game for the rest of your life you can certainly just have that that game and 
Sometimes it can be an expensive game. Sometimes it can be a cheap game. Yep. But you can always find some sort of fun. And if you don't, if you don't find that one game great, go and explore this other one. Oh, because yeah. if you if you buy those games and you just say, I need to keep this game because I'm never going to find another one. You know what? You will. Oh yeah. It, it, you just it just uh, and um, I would say that you can find fun on every level um, as long as you find a game that you can at least have a decent playability. If your game's always broken, it's going to be frustrating. Oh yeah. And so just find something. But uh, those are the two things I would say. Don't get don't get attached to just one game, and uh, get involved in the pinball community because you can start asking things like, "Hey, what's going on with this?" or "How can we fix? Uh, you know, how can I fix this or that?" Because as we say, uh, it's a it's a cannonball flying around at high speed under glass, and so it's going to break mm-hmm. something. Well, not so, only that. Like you said, though, get a part of the community. I know at least in our community, we actually sell the pinball machines a little bit cheaper just to keep them in our area. Cause with Utah, there's not a ton of pinball machines in Utah. So we want to keep them within the community, I guess. And we don't mind taking a couple hundred bucks off to see it go to a friend instead of traveling across the States, you know, or even out of States. The, the one thing I keep thinking about is budget because there's no reason. We've got this going on. Are you interested? So do what? Uh, I was just saying a lot of our deals are kind of handshake deals of, hey, I know you were looking for this game. Do you want it? Yeah, sure. I'll take it. Yep. So like I was saying, the the next thing I think is budget. There's no reason to be looking for a limited edition Iron Maiden if all you can afford is a World Cup soccer. And so figure out what your price range is and then start studying pinballs in that range. And when I say study, go for uh, – I go through IPDB. I go through pin side. I find out if it's near me on location and then I go play the crap out of it because you're going to love any pinball machine you get for about the first 20 to 50 plays. And then you are like, well, what do I do with it now? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially those ones that don't like one of the first ones I owned was a teenage mutant Ninja turtles. Love the theme. That's one of my dream things. I would love to see that made into a, a pinball machine nowadays too too much of a conversation to go into there but that's that was one of the first ones i got i got at home i started exploring it was really into it and then it came down to after about 50 plays i realized it's just collecting the turtles which is a bunch of uh target banks and shooting the two left ramps because there's no right ramp you just shoot the two left ramps and that's about it i mean there's a sewer hole and you start multi-ball but other than that there was really no depth or code to it and it just got really boring after a while. And it got even harder because I bought a crappy version because I figured, mm-hmm. well, this is going to stay in my collection the whole time. So it doesn't matter if it's crappy or whatnot. If I want to re rebuild it or whatever, I'm going to. Well, then I got to the point where I'm like, well, I don't even want this. <laughs> I don't think I can get rid of it because of how much it's worth and how much damage is done to it. So it, that's always it. I, I would also say it's just like buying a car. Um, don't buy it. <laughs> Be careful about buying a clunker and thinking you're going to fix it up and turn it into gold. If you look at the game and think, you know what, this is going to take a lot more effort. I mean, value your time. If it's going to take you 40 hours, unless you want that experience of building it up, just put a dollar figure on how much you make per hour, $10 an hour, $20 an hour, and then multiply it by how many hours you think it's going to take. And 
if it's going to take 2000 of your hours to do, maybe it's just better to save up and work at your trained job and just buy a better game. Oh yeah. You could do what I did. I, I, I go into homes a lot. I do heating and air conditioning. I'm a technician. So I go into homes a lot and I'd walk by pinball machines here in town that looked like they hadn't been turned. I mean, there's a layer of dust on the glass. Yeah. One of the grandkids had wrote their name in the dust. And I looked at the dude and I said, Hey, do you ever play this thing? He's like, well, it broke five years ago. It was a high roller casino. And he's like, it broke five years ago. I never use it. Why? And I said, well, you need a new water heater. I'd be more than mm-hmm. happy to install a new water heater for you for free. If you, tr- well, you know, we do a trade. You give me the pinball machine. I looked up how much it was worth. You give me the pinball machine. We'll just call it, call it even. And he was like, that's the best thing you could ever have offered me. He thought was the best deal he'd ever made. And so I ended up with a pinball machine that I might not necessarily want, but I knew that I could fix up and then turn around and sell because it was in decent condition. And I mean, you don't have to have the top 100 in your house right off the get-go. I started out with Teenage Mutant Turtles. I started out with Amazing Spider-Man. I fixed them up. I flipped them. I got my World Cup soccer. And my World Cup soccer I got for cheap, but it was beat to, to heck and back. It was just terrible. That's one other thing. That's one of my big advices to anyone that's getting into pinball. I tell them all the time, don't buy one that's broken as your first one. You're going to get uh, absolutely. You're going to get frustrated. Yeah. You're going to wish that you could just play it and you're going to go out and you're going to probably buy another pinball machine just so you could play that one so you can work on this one that you just bought while you fix it up. Your first game should be one that that works. Yep. You know, you just turn it on and go. And also, I would say that um be part of the community. Pinball social. Pinball really isn't a solo sport. There's a reason why it's it's morphed into the social thing. Mm-hmm. And if you have a reputation of doing fair deals with people, then they'll ha- then they will in- include you into the bigger picture. But if you if you have a deal of being a, a shark about being aggressive about uh, either uh, either aggressive about lowballing someone or giving them a ridiculous price, you know, the community is small enough that you're going to get a reputation and you're not going to be very popular. Yep. So I think if you just have that, I'm not going to be a jerk and I'm just going to be fair, then that will come around and you'll be viewed as an asset to your local community. No, I totally agree. I can think of a couple guys that, um, I had one guy re- when I was trying to get rid of my Simpsons pinball party, he reached out to me and he said, why are you selling it for the price that you're selling? It, it was like, I think it was like 500 bucks less than what was, what was the, the pin side value, which everyone knows is solid as gold. Right. But he, he, he's like, you could sell it. I just sold mine for, it was like 5,800 in the same condition to some guy across the country. Why don't you do that? And I'm like, I just, I don't want to, you know? And so I sold it to someone in the community here. They, it was their first pin. They were excited. They knew they were getting a solid pin. I haven't, they haven't had an issue with it and it's been fantastic. And to go back to the Ninja Turtles, when I sold that one, the funny part about that one, uh, I told the people, like it works a hundred percent. They got it home and she calls me not even like 12 hours later. And she's like, how dare you sell us? The machine's not working. How dare you? Like you swindled us and da, 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 da. And I said, what's it doing? And she's like, it won't kick the ball into the, the lane to kick out. And I'm like, well, did you level it? Oh, well, we'll try yeah. that. And I never heard a word since. So. Yeah. <laughs> just 
some of the easier stuff, you know, if you're going to buy a pinball machine, make sure that you, you understand the basics of even just leveling the pinball machine too. So, okay. Well, I, I, I won't, I won't give them too hard of a time because I bought Simpsons, uh, completely not knowing, uh, like what to do with it. So I was lucky. It was, uh, it was a home use only mint condition. So, yeah, but you got to explore it though. I don't know. But... Yeah. But that, that's part of having like uh, having other people in the in your community that you can use as resources and say, hey, what's going on here? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, and like you said, that's probably one of the biggest aspects of the hobby that you need to do is go out and just talk to those that are in your community. So that way, you know that you have someone to fall back on. I see a lot of that in our community. Something breaks. That's the first thing they do. They go to Facebook. We have a big Facebook page for all of us. And then they just said on there, hey this isn't working. What do I need to do? And within nine and five, 10 minutes, there's three guys on there that's already given their, their opinions on how to fix it, or they'll send them to the site where they need to fix it, pin wiki, wherever it may be. So that really well, is the best way to do it. There's also, if you find a tech who's a local tech who actually is really good at fixing pinball machines and you're willing to spend the money, they'll do a great job. Okay. Um, we have, we have one here. Uh, his name is Ray. And he's come out and really, he was very, he was invaluable when I first started getting into the hobby. And I still use Ray if I want just something fixed and I just don't have time to do it. Um, it is more expensive because you're paying premium prices, but that's his livelihood. And you oh, need yeah. to look at it that way. Oh, I totally but agree. I, I wish there was an equivalent in video games because I have a video game where the monitor keeps flickering out and I would love to just pay someone to come and fix it for me. Oh, I agree. So uh, let's talk about the future of pinball. What, what are your thoughts or at least your hopes for 2019? I think it's going to level out a little bit in that we've had rapid growth in the last five years, um, basically it'll, the years that I got into pinball. And I think you're going to find that uh, the growth will be slower. I think it'll still be steady um, because people are still con finding that enjoyment of connecting with something physical. Um, they're kind of burned out on video games they're burned out on the cell phone the interaction they're burned out on social media and this is something that's just it's kind of raw it's physical and it gets back to hey go out and talk to people as opposed to just staring at your phone screen um so i i feel that it still gives this connection that nobody has had since the death of arcades really um oh yeah but i think that you'll probably still see the rise of more barcades uh, more uh, kind of adult themed uh, arcades out there. And when I say adult themed, I just mean that uh, they're geared toward, you know, selling, selling food and drinks and Hey, you're there for games too. Um, yeah. 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 Cause, cause that would, that would go off really well. Oh, come yeah. on. You're not talking about like a gentleman's club. Yeah, let's no, let's the, go uh, to the gentleman's club and play some pinball and see some strippers. Those, more and more of those coming up. <laughs> Um, I think that Stern's kind you know of hit their stride with uh, with where their market share is and where they can uh, where they can sell their games. Uh, with the technology out there, I don't know um, this uh, this ability to actually uh, wirelessly uh, wire your scores. I think that will become a huge thing. And I think eventually it will creep into big tournament settings where you don't have to have scorekeepers. It'll just be automatic. Um, or yeah. you know, you'll still need tournament directors, but 
I think that that will really help out. Um, I also see a little bit of an evolution. I think oh, some I totally people agree. are getting burned out on the uh, the tournament whopper chase. And so I'm wondering how that's going to end up because the people who are really doing it, I mean, it's really a part-time job for them. If you look at how many tournaments they play in, uh, you know, you look at the Raymond Davidsons, uh, you, you know, you look at the Steve Bowden, you see all those guys who are, who every weekend they're doing something. And I think for the, for the one percenters, that's fine, but really there needs to be a way to connect more with just the casual guy who has maybe a night every two or three weeks that, that he or she can go and play. No, I totally agree. So I think in my opinion, in the next year, we see, we see more competition. I know that Stern has really hit their stride and they're doing fantastic on what they're doing, but really what's their biggest competition right now? Jersey Jack remade games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jersey Jack and Chicago game company. Absolutely. But, and and the problem is though, yeah, well, and the problem is, it's like Jersey Jack, they've, they've hit a stumbling block between pirates of the Caribbean and they've, I mean, Jack went on head to head and said, Hey, we're going to try to do two titles nine months apart. And it's like, but the problem is, is they just barely got out pirates or are they given up on pirates? I mean, they cut short dialed in so they could bring out pirates a year ago and now it's finally leaving their factory. Yeah. So, but that's the problem though, is, is Stern is really honestly the only pinball, uh, pinball people that have been around. And so they had a head start. They knew what to do. They've known they've been doing this for years. And so I think a lot of expectations come from the other companies because they look at Stern and they go, this is what Stern's doing. This is, this is what everyone else should be doing. We should stop pulling Jersey Jack, especially spooky, which blows my mind. Cause they've come out and they said, we are boutique pinball. Yeah. We're going to make this at the rate that we can make it. And I think Charlie's brilliant on the way that he does his stuff. Like, yeah, it, it sucks that you have to wait 18 months if you're number 500 to get your Alice Cooper, but he's not overexerting himself. He's not giving false promises. He's telling you up front what he wants or what he's doing, and he's giving you a good product. And so there's nothing wrong with that. And so I really want to see what happens if Deep Root comes in, or not if, when they come in and see what they can do, because it, it would be nice to see Stern have a little bit of competition. I really think that Stern believes themselves that they're the only one in this market, which they kind of are, that kind of controls what goes on. I, I bet you that 80% of the sales are Stern, and it's because of the way that they are able to present themselves. I mean, Monsters is a fantastic example. It's like, boom, here's Monsters. Here's everything you need to know about Monsters. Here's, here's photos. Here's all that jazz. And in two weeks, you can have it in your home. It's like, no one else can do that. So... I, I want to see for 2019, I want to see made expectations lessen a little bit from the community, but expectations for the companies themselves to be brought up to a higher standard. Yeah. So I think that it, it'll still be a challenge for companies to figure out where to put the games though, because yeah. there's only so many, so many people out there that can buy a $5,000 toy and put it in their house. And really, you need to find way. When I was a kid, you would find either arcade or pinball somewhere, either at you know the the skating rinks or at uh, the mall. There was always a place to uh, you know a play an arcade, but that doesn't exist anymore. 
Like all the yeah. all the skating rinks, they've all turned into kitty gambling places with those ticket redemption games. And there needs to be they need to find a way of reaching beyond this niche market. But I also may be naive. Maybe that is the best you can expect in today's market when there's so many avenues for people to seek for entertainment that maybe they are happy with just the lane they've chosen and the barcades in the home market will be able to fill their expectations. Oh yeah. You know what I would like to see? And I know this is totally just like a, a fantasy, like it's probably not going to happen, but Stern has this wonderful back catalog that everyone rants and raves about, you know, uh, stargazer and meteor and stars and all that jazz. And I know that they can't remake those without, I mean, what's the Stargazer going for now? Like 1500 bucks or something like that? Yeah, and, and that's the, and if you look at Twilight Zone, for example, like I know it's, it's not a Stern game, but a Twilight Zone would probably be over a $10,000 game when you look at how much oh, yeah. stuff is in there. And so they've had to figure out a way of making it economical because it's no longer the it's no longer the machine that people are putting money into on a regular basis at, at least half their market is home home buyers and so they need to find a way of getting it into the home buyer well and this is what i so this is my thought process so they make like a spider-man home edition right which would be on the the lesser end right mm -hmm. and i know people hate this concept but make the play fields inter interchangeable and if you look at a stern right now Really, the only thing that defines it is the SD card you put in it and the play field. And so if you could build those Stern Classics and it's just swappable play fields and, the, and you're pretty much just paying for an SD card in the play field itself, that's really going to cut the cost. I mean, I would pay, I would easily play, pay, pay, you know, two to $2,500 if that's all I was getting was the play field and all I had to do is slide. I mean, obviously the cabinet itself, the whole setup first go would be four or five grand because that's what the home editions go for but if you knew you're paying a little more up front and then you're you're those games that are less obtainable right now they were easier just to put into the machine and call it call it good i think people would go for that because there is a high demand for that right now so that's something i would like to see in the future sure I, who knows i i i see what you're saying you realize you just described highway pinball right well, yes, but that's the thing. That's the thing, though. You're taking a product people already know and love, and that they can play, and you know people would fork money out like that. I mean, look at Nintendo. They made that NES remake. They've made the Super Nintendo remake. Sure. They've made those because they knew that they could sell them. Problem with Highway is he had product no one. I mean, no one wanted. What, what, <laughs> yeah, full full throttle. No yeah. one wants to buy that. The, yeah. There's one in in Denver right now. I feel I feel bad for the poor guy. He's got down to thirty five hundred dollars. Yeah. Wow. And he still can't sell it. I mean, no one wants to buy those things, and no one. The only reason people want to buy Alien is because the it's theme. Alien. That's it. Yeah. Well, yep. that's what it comes down to. Tells the theme's important. I mean, that's why I, without knowing anything about pinball, I bought Simpsons pinball party because I like the Simpsons. So. <laughs> Exactly. Well, that's why I bought Ninja Turtles is because yeah. I loved Ninja Turtles. So you know, and that's why I bought Spider Man or Amazing Spider Man, the Gottlieb one. But yeah, I think I think the Stern one's better. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. But there's there's a thirty year difference between the two. So yeah. I hope the one's better than the other. Yeah, I I think uh, what I would like to see is I love that they're doing this, the Vault editions because I think that there's all these games that have been artificially high 
because of their uh, their scarcity. You know, the it's the it's the demand. It's the supply versus demand. And if you're able to, um, the bottom line is Stern legitimately doesn't care what the aftermarket of their product is, as long as they can still sell the primary product. And so they're well. Make, they they have no, they have no skin in the secondary exactly. market. There's nothing for them in it. They have no many. Like, yes, I will say that there are people who buy things on the anticipation that they can flip them later. But if Stern has the opportunity of selling ten thousand Metallicas, they're not going to cap it at two thousand and say, "Well, we want to keep the the home buyers happy." They're just like, "No, we want to sell ten thousand games." So uh, I, I would I would love to see some of these uh, older games uh, come back, and who knows, um, maybe some of those older uh, older games like a Fathom or Stargazer or Sea Witch. I just don't, uh, as we saw with uh, Total Nuclear Annihilation, they're going to be a lot more expensive to make than you think. So I I just don't I just don't see them doing it. But I, I but also... Scott Denisi was awesome. He brought a lot more concepts. I mean, the under the playfield digital displays. Yes. I mean, there's a lot more to those games. I, I have a really hard time believing that Beatles is an eight thousand dollar game. I mean, based solely off the product itself, not necessarily the license. I mean, the license, yeah, it's if it is a million dollars plus, then yeah, I get why it's eight thousand dollars. But the actual okay. game itself. Okay, but have you run the figures on that? I guess I have not. So you run the figures on it, and it basically licensing fee on the Beatles, which they say is the most expensive. And I'm making a few assumptions here, I know. But even if they paid a million dollars for it, you're only paying $500 for the license. Oh, true. Per game, right? Per game. At 1900 and, per game. Yeah, 1964 So you're only paying 500 So that's for them to break even on that. And so uh, it's uh, the Beatles is a prime example of a game that they're selling – based on a, a fixed and I fixed scarcity and I'll say scarcity in air quotes. I know you can't see my claw hands in the air, but uh, <laughs> because we don't know how many of these things they're making anyway. And I just can't see even if they made more than 1966 of these Beatles, I don't think the demand will be there from the average market. There will be from the, the Beatles collector market, but from the average market, I don't know. I I wasn't interested. I like the Beatles, and I wasn't interested. I like the Beatles too, and I I mean I really believe that they're one of the main reasons we have modern rock music. But I just you price. I would rather have a Monster Bash at eight grand than I would a Beatles. Yeah, no, just no question. No, no question whatsoever. Of course, I would also like some of the other ones that. I, I want the Chicago Gaming Company to make Whitewater. I'd love to see what they do to modernize that oh, sucker. Yeah. And you can oh, yeah. still get Whitewaters for around five, six thousand dollars. But you know, eventually they're going to run out of the uh, the expensive remakes. And hey, again, a Chicago Gaming Company can break even uh, selling something, even though a thirty-year-old game is selling for six thousand. Someone can say, "Well, I can buy a new one for seven. Well, and this is the brilliance of Chicago Gaming, in my opinion. You've got a lot of games at that six thousand dollar range, that fifty five hundred to six thousand dollar range, and where their base model is pretty much the same as one of those games that you're buying. Like obviously, someone's going to mod out their game, but you're buying a brand new in box classic. Let's say White Water. I mean, heck, I don't know why, but Creature from the Black Lagoon has shot through the roof for fifty five hundred to six grand. Yeah. I mean, 
if they remake those games, they'll easily make their money back on them because you're looking at it as, well, here's the base model, which is essentially the exact same game you bought 20 years or 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then we have the tiers up from there. So I, I just, I think Chicago games have a lot more under the, the belt, under their belt than a lot of people think. Well, I, I think so. they do. I mean, for me, I, I am the guy who would rather have the, uh, the medieval madness remake over the original because the one that I bought is new as opposed to a 30 to 40 year old game. And unless I'm going to get hep to rebuild it and spend $10,000 for it, mine's going to be a lot cleaner than that one is. Yep. Well, we've been running almost an hour. Let's, let's wrap this up. Okay. I wanted to give a couple quick shout outs. You know, I am very, very humbled by the community this week. What started out is something that I was just going to test the waters with. I did not expect this kind of response. Thank you to Head to Head Pinball. Thank you to This Week in Pinball, Zach Mini. When I record that introduction, that's all seriously was, was an introduction. And I sent it off to Zach. I feel like one of the most professional podcasts is uh, This Week in Pinball, Head to Head, uh, Special One Lit. I'd sent it off to a couple of those guys. said, what are your thoughts? Like, I'm so nervous. I don't think this is going to work. And they, they all said, you know what? That sounds fantastic. The sound sounds great. Put it out there. And so I did, and between the shout-outs, like I said, shout-outs from head-to-head, shout-outs from This Week in Pinball, even Dead Flip. I mean, Jack Danger on his stream yesterday, it blew me away. The one that really floored me was Kaneda actually left a comment on the SoundCloud saying, welcome to the party. I was not expecting Kaneda to even say hello. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, it just goes to show that the pinball community is a very tight-knit community, and at the end of the day, like we might fight about the dumbest things, but we're going to support each other. And I think that's awesome. I think it's so crazy it, that other podcasts shout out other podcasts. And seriously, yeah, it's it seems humbling. Um, I actually found a, a, a random Canada video that talked about him uh, replacing his uh, bedroom in his New York City apartment as to like a, a retro gaming den. So I'll, I'll send you that link. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, Sounds good. I'll check that out. I'll give a shout out to uh, to actually Jeff Rivera, a local guy who is part of the Pinball Podcast. Um, he's one of the guys that I just reached out to. I had no idea where he was recording from. And when he was going to do the uh, pick up his Ghostbusters, I thought, it sounds like he's driving around where I live. So I contacted him and he's been a good friend ever since. So I would say that I probably wouldn't be as deep into pinball if it weren't for jeff and the salt lake uh uh, salt lake area pinball uh, slap what do we stand for anyway yes salt lake area pinball well no i totally agree with you jeff has been fantastic to me too and i mean if it wasn't for him like it was kind of funny going to the first tournament and jeff was there i was like oh dude i'm with pinball celebrity man yeah like i didn't know and so um it was so funny because like jeff doesn't like to talk about it like he doesn't like to talk about he's part of the pinball podcast He's, he's proud of his product, but he's not one to brag. And so it, it took me a while to find out that, like you said, that he was even from the Salt Lake area. And uh, someone had said, he's our Batman. You know, yeah. he goes out there, he, he does his stuff, and then he, he just kind of keeps it quiet to himself. He's behind the scenes, <laughs> yeah. But no, man, I totally agree. But thanks for joining. Uh, I'm really excited for this. I'm really excited to get this up and... Uh, I've known you for years now, but we'll get into that next episode. Um, but yeah, I, I was stoked when you said you wanted to do this. So 
Let's make this a thing. All right. Well, we'll catch you later. All right. Later, Scott. Okay. Bye.